Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CIO House View monthly live stream. Today is Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. I'm Anthony Pastore, and we thank you so much for joining us for this live event. Today, I'm joined by my CIO colleagues, Salita Marcelli and David Lefkowitz. And as always, we appreciate hearing from all of you, our live audience. So we will, of course, encourage you to ask questions of our panel. There is an Ask a Question button right on your screen there where you're watching this video and it is open now. So feel free to start sending those questions in and we'll get to them at some point a little bit later in today's discussion. So let's dive right in and get to the matter at hand. Salita, it's nice to have you here in the studio. We haven't had you for one of these uh, lives in a long time. So thanks for coming through. Thank um, you. I wanted to ask you, so it, it certainly has been, uh, the past few months have been a little bit uh, volatile for any investor, whether you're fixed income or your equities or you know, commodities, it's just been such an interesting market. Um, and so we're seeing uh, in the last couple of days, the S&P 500 dips, now it's back up, especially after the Fed meeting yesterday, which we'll get to. Maybe you can level set for us what some of the main drivers have been that you've been tracking. Yeah, of course, thanks Anthony, it's great to be always here. Uh, yes, I mean, like you said, we've certainly seen the return of volatility after a really strong first half of the year, especially for um, equity markets, right? If you think back about two months ago, people um, had gotten pretty comfortable with this like soft landing narrative. But then now the markets, you know, face this um, tension between an economy uh, that shows little sign of slowing and the risk that Fed will have to keep interest rates higher for longer as a result of that. And the concern is that if you know, rates stay uh, at elevated levels for an extended period of time, right, we could eventually see some of the cracks in the economy um, emerge. And so to put it simply, the more we, the faster we grow now, the harder the fall would be later on, right? So mm -hmm. that's, that's basically the, 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 the you know, crux of the issue. And largely because of this macro strength, um, we saw bond yields rise uh, over the past few months. Uh, although, you know, in the last two weeks, they've come down about 30 basis points, but I'm kind of giving you the lay of the line. Uh, other factors, of course, have uh, contributed to this, uh, you know, influence, had influence, although we don't think they were necessarily on the driver's seat. We had the headwinds from the uh, Treasury supply. Uh, we have shifting Bank of Japan policy, right? Uh, we did see some relief on those two fronts this week with the Treasury refining announcement coming in lower and Bank of Japan announcing that they're not going to be as aggressive in terms of their uh, yield control. So overall, like I said, yields have um, you know, retreated pretty sharply over the you know, past week, 10 days, I should say, because of these developments, but mostly because of Fed, mm -hmm. right? The FOMC left uh, rates unchanged, and Chair Powell um, certainly told us and acknowledged that tighter financial conditions is having an impact um, on the economy, and it's really doing the job for them. Uh, the market outlook, um, you know, our market took this probably as dovish because we have seen the rally yesterday and following into this year, although they did open the, um, left the door open for, for another hike. So I think I would say the bottom line is that in terms of um, why this is so important, um, is that we are in one of those periods like last year uh, where the correlation between um, treasury yields and equity market has picked up. I mean, David always says it's, you know, it should be the earnings that is really driving the uh, equity market. Mm -hmm. But most of last year we have seen um, it, that it has been the rate rise. 
this year, you know, we have seen valuation initially, but that switched back again, and it's, it's, it seems like it's a rate rise that is uh, moving. And ultimately, you know, higher rates are seen as bad uh, for stocks, right, because they make them less attractive compared to bonds. You're getting five plus percent for treasuries, six plus for investment grade corporates. They weigh on valuations of the companies because you have higher discount rate that, you know, and then they also bring this uh, sort of challenge to earnings in the form of higher uh, cost of funding. So I would say we should still expect, despite the rally today and yesterday, we should expect um, some turbulence until uh, we see signs that the economy is slowing in a really healthy way. And then the confidence, you know, one day doesn't make a trend, right? But the confidence comes back that we have already seen the peak in rates, which makes tomorrow's Friday's job report really, really important because if the yields move higher tomorrow on a weaker print on uh, on employment, then it sort of changes the game a little bit, right? It would give us some concerns that the lead reason uh, that is driving rates is not necessarily growth, but it's you know other factors, um, and you know then we have to look at it from different lenses. And then finally, um, you know, adding maybe all of these. In addition to these concerns, we have the geopolitical risks rising. Um, it's elevated with the Israel-Hamas war, um, which has obviously brought the discussions and the questions around disruption in terms of the oil supply. So there's not a set price for oil that causes or triggers a recession. But the relationship between oil prices and the consumers is quite linear, right? Uh, every dollar that gasoline prices go higher um, means, you know, it causes more pain for the consumer because it's another dollar that's going to divert it away from spending elsewhere, and that complicates the inflation picture. So I would say that has become another risk to monitor that is maybe behind the scenes has been having an impact on the market. Yeah, just, just from hearing what you're saying, you can just imagine the amount of information that Jay Powell and the rest of the FOMC are taking in every single minute of the day. There's so much that's happening out there and so much that they don't know. He, yeah. he literally said it's a, a riddle to them and he used sort of like paraphrasing by saying, you know, we'll see what happens. And you mentioned the jobs numbers tomorrow. We've got more data that we'll be seeing over the next couple of weeks before the next December meeting. So that's, that sort of brings the question in, Salita. Where do we go from here from since here, we yeah. don't exactly, Powell doesn't even know where they're going. Yeah. How do we know where to go? Yeah. Um, we are, um, we have scenario analysis and we're doing our, you know. That's all we can say, I, right? I, I wish I could say we have a crystal ball, but <laughs> we are, you know, reliant on good old analysis and, you know, probabilities of different scenarios that gets us to our base case. But ultimately, you know, we believe uh, growth will slow from here onward towards the end of this year into first quarter and into second quarter. Um, and I think, it is likely, it's still possible that we would get that softish kind of landing. Um, I think from here, consumers will start to feel the pain more. They're going to have more headwinds, whether it's because of the student loan repayments um, or, you know, the fact, you know, the fact that houses and cars at this level are the least affordable they have been in, in years. years. You know, good thing I got both of those right before this time. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not... My lease on my car came due, and I did not go buy, <laughs> switch to a new model. I just like bought it back. It was the cheaper. right way to do it. Exactly. Yes. Right? <laughs> so eventually, you know, these factors will mount, and saving rates, I think, will have to go up, and spending will will pull back. Right. So the slowdown, I think, is waiting for us. So in our view, 
the market is still underestimating the amount of easing once the economy weakens. Right now, the market expects about 140 basis points uh, cuts through 2025. Mm -hmm. Of course, every cycle is different, right? I mean, it, it doesn't exactly repeat itself, but if you just look at history, on average, when Fed cuts rates, um, you know, uh, but you know, usually they cut rates about 400 basis points in uh, the two years after they begin, right? The question is, when will they begin? That's right. Right? right. Is it the third quarter, fourth quarter? We went beyond that, but anyway, we'll, you know, our guess is it gets later and later at this point, but it's going to depend on that, that growth. At the same time, we almost certainly um, won't see rates going back to zero, or, you know, where you know where we were over the last decade. I think uh, it's definitely not. Um, next year, given our view that uh, we're not going to see a meaningful recession, I think it's unlikely since the job market is still, you know, quite um, healthy. Um, also, you know, we can talk about it in another day, but, you know, the deglobalization, uh, energy transition, I think, you know, we're in an environment where it's going to be a high rate. So taking all this together, this is why we expect yields to trend lower in the next year. Um, while staying above crisis levels. Um, this move lower may not happen right away, right? Typically, fourth quarter is a time where we have uh, illiquidity in the market. Um, but we are confident that um, at least uh, we are close to the highs in the cycle rate. Ultimately, we expect to see uh, rates end the year around 10 year, end year around four and a quarter, and trade somewhere between three and a half and four towards the latter part of next year. Right. Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot that's happening, obviously, and you mentioned all those things to us, Salida. But I, I do want to go into one moment of, you just briefly mentioned it earlier, the Israel-Hamas war. Um, certainly the, the human toll is something that we, we can't even understand, um, and it's a horrific thing to see. Yeah. But you did talk about that there may be some market implications yeah. as this continues. What, what are some of those that you're paying attention to? Particularly, I mean, the energy is certainly yeah. Yeah. a factor. Look, first of all, like I said, we have downside, upside, but our base case right now at this moment is that um, the overall impact will be limited. At least for now, it remains to be a local war. I mean, from, not from a social perspective, right, right. for sure, but purely from financial asset class perspective, it looks like a, um, you know, it's really only impacting local financial assets, right? That's, that's where we see the most pain. Still, I think the situation um, remains fluid. Right, um, you know, and there's still a key risk. It, it's it's going to be a key risk for us to watch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for a broader as you know region escalation um, that might disrupt oil supplies, like, like I talked about before, and I'm driving prices higher. Now, so far, uh, we have observed that the oil prices only moved modestly. Right, our base case again is that it fluctuates within $9,200 uh, per barrel range. Uh, but if additional players get mixed up into this war, get pulled in directly into the conflict, it is very possible that the oil supply is going to be threatened. For example, if we saw a marginal escalation in the Iranian crude um, exports, I, we would not be surprised to see oil trading. 105, 110, that level levels. But if it gets, um, you know, even more severe escalation, certainly we would see oil about 120. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I say 120, I'm like, the floor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it is. It is definitely a very credible 
risk. Mm -hmm. I would say it's a tail risk at this point. Um, because of that, we wouldn't make any major changes in portfolio for a tail risk. But I would say for those clients, investors that are concerned and want to be prepared for this, it's not such a bad idea to put some hedges in the portfolios. Mm -hmm. um, as you'd expect, one of the most common questions we've been getting around this is um, whether the clients should be buying gold. Um, I always like gold. It's but, a safe haven. But it doesn't always perform well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, especially in times like this, um, some of the financial return considerations become secondary and psychological safety is a little bit more. But I would say that, look, gold certainly has become um, a political, a geopolitical hedge, uh, as an important geopolitical hedge over the last few years. And now, you know, I, I would say it has provided its worth again uh, since the attack, but it's also not necessarily um, a time maybe to chase it mm -hmm. uh, because you know some of the fundamentals doesn't necessarily for you know argue for gold. You have dollar strength, which I think is going to continue for some time. You have higher rates, which we believe is going to come down, but not enough to maybe make gold that much attractive. And so you have between dollar strength and ETF flows, um, they're not that supportive of gold in the absence of an escalation. So it should be perceived purely as a uh, tail risk hedge for geopolitical uh, risks. Great, thank you, Salida. David, I wanna bring you in, um, since we really have unpacked a lot here, um, and particularly with the geopolitical situation, the Fed commentary from yesterday, bonds, um, what about equities, and where do you think we go from here knowing what we know today and what we don't know down the road? Yeah, so I think a little bit of just a, a rewind. So late last week, we entered correction territory, uh, and we put a note out then saying we thought the risk-reward in equities was, was getting pretty attractive. Mm -hmm. You could see you know, sentiment readings were getting pretty depressed. Valuations were getting uh, pretty appealing. Um, and you know now we're up four uh, percent from from the the low, uh, but I think the general direction of markets trending higher is is probably the most likely outcome. And and we so we still have you know about ten percent upside for to our S and P five hundred target for the end of twenty twenty four. And what what's going to drive that? Um, I think there's a couple things. You know, first we, we talked a lot about the Fed. You know, it looks like the Fed is is largely winding down its interest rate hikes, um, and maybe at some point they they can start cutting rates at some point next year. So mm -hmm. you know that should ease financial conditions a bit. Um, you know, secondly, just the the part of what drove the sell off, and uh, Salita talked about this. Part of what drove the sell off was the fact that yes, rates were moving up, but they were moving up very rapidly. Mm -hmm. So whenever we see these very rapid moves in interest rates, which is sort of an echo of what we saw in twenty two. The equity market has a more difficult time digesting that. So if we just get the rate volatility coming down a bit, and, and hopefully that's what we're about to see, or we are starting to see, then that should take some of the angst away from, from the equity market. And obviously the geopolitical issues that Salita talked about, you know, it, it's pretty normal that we see a little bit of a, of a downturn rel around geopolitical uh, events, but then the market tends to recover pretty quickly. So you know, rates, geopolitics, the Fed, and then earnings. Um, and what I would say on, on earnings is that it looks like the earnings recession is over. This is the, in the third quarter, uh, we're getting the numbers in, we've got about three quarters of the market cap has reported. Um, uh, it looks like earnings will grow for the first time in about three quarters. 
Uh, and we think that we can see a reacceleration in earnings growth over the course of next year. Now, you know, some, we get a lot of questions on, well, if we're looking for a slowdown in the economy, how are earnings gonna reaccelerate? And I think it's important to bear in mind that, look, we have a good economy now, but we, we were in an earnings recession, right? right. So there, there are disconnects between what's happening with the economy itself and, and the companies in, that are publicly traded in the stock market. And one of the most important things to recognize is that the companies in the S&P, the publicly traded companies, many of them are much more leveraged to good spending, right? So you, know, you think about the tech companies like smartphones, PCs, right? All the consumer staples companies, uh, you know, food and, and household products, things like that. So there's been this really difficult period within the good sector of the economy and we think that gets a bit better as we go into next year. So improving earnings growth, we're looking for 9% earnings growth. That sounds high, but uh, we think it's reasonable uh, given some of the moving pieces within, within the earnings. Um, and and you know, valuations can, can maybe creep a little bit higher. From, but basically, we think valuations remain you know, as they are, and that, that's how you get to that 10% upside. Right, and we've talked about it so many times. There's those uh, seven names at the top of the S&P 500 that have really um, you know, taken all the glory, but there's a lot of opportunity still within equities that haven't really seen those kind of valuations. So that sort of dips into earnings season that mm -hmm. we were you know, still in yep. the midst of it, but, um, but a lot of it has already passed. What are some maybe notable sectors or you know, areas of the equity market that you've seen, whether good or bad? Right. So the most important thing is, is always what's going on with consumer spending. Right. And I would say the message we're getting from a whole host of companies, and it's always mixed, but uh, I like looking at the credit card companies mm -hmm. because they, they touch everything, right? So the visas, the MasterCards, I mean, basically they're saying consumer spending has been pretty consistent at a consistent growth rate since, since March of this year. Um, now maybe on the margin, we're seeing a little bit of softening. Mm -hmm. Lita talked about the student loan repayments restarting, gasoline prices were up, they're, they're back down. Um, so, you know, so maybe we're seeing a, a touch of a softening there, but, but look, when you've got one and a half job openings for every unemployed person, that to me means the labor market's gonna remain pretty well supported, and that should mean that income gains for consumers are also gonna be, remain well supported, so that should continue uh, to, we should continue to see healthy consumer spending, although, you know, probably slowing down a bit. Um, so that's the good news. You know, where we've seen some, um, the other parts of pieces of good news is it looks like parts of tech hardware look like they're bottoming, PCs, smartphones, things like that. Uh, semiconductors more broad, now semiconductors is a little bit mixed uh, without going into all the details, <laughs> but um, where we're seeing, I would say a little bit of disappointment is there's been, there had been some hope that we would start to see some specific segments that have been weak start to improve. And, and here the signs are a little bit more mixed, like capital markets activity, that's companies uh, raising money in, in the capital markets or M&A, things like that. That's still pretty muted. Um, this, we, we've been in this kind of freight recession uh, for a while uh, and, and the good side of the economy in general still seems like we're sort of bouncing along the bottom. So we haven't yet seen that inflection. We think, we think going into 24, there's, there's better odds of, of something like that. Um, short cycle industrial has also been uh, a little bit iffy, but, but broadly I would say 
the fact that the consumer still has the resources and the, the wage income uh, to power further gains in spending, that, that gives us a lot of confidence. Yeah, and where do you see the best opportunity right now in, in the, if you had to boil it down to, to just the sectors, where are the best opportunities yeah. today? So, yeah, before we get into sectors, I think it's important to recognize, look, we're, we're in a late cycle environment. Mm -hmm. And late cycle, what I mean by that is that the unemployment rate is very low. Um, it's hard to envision it going lower. There's not a ton of slack in the economy. That's why we at 3.8%. It's at 3.8%. That's what's did tomorrow. Right. Um, so in that type of environment, we, it makes sense to, to focus on quality companies. These are companies that have strong bank seats, they have high capital, and find them in a, in a host of sectors. We actually maintain a lot of stocks that we, that we like with quality bucket. Um, uh, so that's available. From a sector perspective, um, I have three sectors that we currently like. Uh, talked about energy. Um, you know, we do think that oil prices do, do move higher from here. A lot of this has to do with what OPEC has been doing in terms of tightening up the market. Um, we think we're going to continue to see inventory draws, both in crude and products, uh, and that should lead to some, some further upside in, in oil prices. And, and it's also, I think, a, as Celia touched on this, it's a nice hedge, mm. right? If things really go out of control in, in these geopolitical flashpoints, or frankly, you know what, if inflation is... is is more firm than we expect, that's also, it's also a nice hedge to have that in the portfolio. Uh, consumer staples, obviously a more defensive part of the market, but you know, in this late cycle environment, I think you do wanna have some defensive exposure. Staples look really interesting to us, especially because they've been hurt by these, this rise in interest rates, as well as concerns around the rollout of these obesity drugs. And, and I think those can, both on the obesity side, those concerns seem premature and excessive. Uh, and, and we just talked about, we think rates are gonna, be, are gonna be trending lower. So that should support consumer staples. And we also like industrials where there's a lot of things going on. In, it's a very heterogeneous market, um, but you've got the defense companies in there. You've got a lot of companies leveraged to infrastructure spending, companies leveraged to the, the CHIPS Act, or they're building manufacturing facilities. Um, aerospace cycle, you know, the travel story is still, is still pretty robust. A lot of aftermarket work needs to be done to maintain these planes, aging fleet of, of, of aircraft out there. So um, that's, a, that's an area we like also. Great. Thanks, David. So, Lita, on the fixed income side, a similar question is where you see opportunities, especially given where rates are. They're, they're not at their peak anymore, but they're just off of the peak and still high on the yield yeah. side. Where's the opportunity today? Yeah. Um, look, so within fixed income, our view that uh, both real and nominal rates are going to trend lower from here is really driving our view or our preference um, for uh, fixed income over equities, but you heard that there's still opportunities equities. And when we say our preference, I mean, we have managed a diversified portfolio, so mm -hmm. we still have, you know, more than half the portfolio in equities anyway. So, but still our, you know, extra allocation is on the bond side. Um, and so that's sort of our positioning and preference as a classes. I think it's, it's a pretty good time to lock and yield. And I know we've been talking about that. In the meantime, we got to five, we get back to five. We're never going to be able to time it exactly. Right. But the way we're seeing where the Fed is um, moving, where the slowdown is moving, um, you know, I, I really do think we're going to have lots of inflows into fixed income over the next three to six months. So uh, starting to lock in now and phasing it over time, um, I think is a good idea. So that's why we like uh, Treasury inflation protected securities tips. 
And that's also why we like investment grade uh, corporates. Within investment grade specifically, we believe uh, sort of one to three year maturity range can provide that low volatility income. You're still getting six, a little above 6%, even if in that short duration. While long duration, you know, seven to 10 year part of the curve uh, should perform well from a total return perspective um, because our view is, like I said, nominal yields uh, will be lower over the next year. So you have that potential price appreciation that's gonna add on to it. And of course, it's a pretty flat, you know, credit curve, but still if you're on the longer end, you can get six and a half percent type of yields. We are uh, more cautious going out too far beyond that. Um, because there's greater sensitivity to technical factors like supply. So, you know, that's not something, you know, it's harder to control that. I also uh, want to mention that yields on high quality munis uh, are, you know, at their highest level that they've been in over a decade. Um, the tax equivalent uh, yield on a double A muni uh, at this time can be close to about 10%. Um, especially for investors that are in higher tax states. So, you know, if you think munis are kind of boring and kind of puts you to sleep, <laughs> but I think Not maybe anymore. that wakes you up, right? <laughs> uh, 10% there. So, um, and I'll finally say uh, maybe that I don't think it's time to add additional credit risk here. I mean, you know, you, when you're getting about 6.5% yields in investment grade, I don't think there is that much of a reason to go down um, in terms of credit quality, take on that unnecessary mm -hmm. uh, credit risk um, in areas like high yield. In fact, right now, when we, the S we, when we look at the high yield index, about 25% of that index, those companies need to be refinanced um, from now until 2026. And the average coupon maturing on those uh, credits is about 6%. Uh, compared to the yield in the high yield market of about nine. So they will have to, you know, get rid of the 6% only to refinance themselves at around nine. So at this, you know, you know, this maturity wall, I, I think will weaken those credit metrics and likely to increase defaults. So I would say high quality, high quality in bonds, high quality in, 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 in stocks as well. Great, thank you, Salida, terrific. So we have a couple of questions that have come in. We've got about five minutes left of the program, but um, David, I'll, I'll ask you this one. It talks about SPY concentration, and, and it's essentially saying, what does it mean for index returns, and where are the opportunities that, and uh, what will maybe cause this to change? A lot to unpack there. Right, exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, no, but it's a great question. I, yeah, I mean, the concentration within the S&P 500 is, is quite high. Um, you know, so the what it, I mean, just by definition, what that means is that the index uh, is going to be exposed to how these these seven large cap companies, these magnificent seven, as as people in the financial press call them, how they perform. Mm -hmm. um, and what I would say is is you know what's a little bit different than maybe history is that at this point the, these companies are you know generally they're growth companies that still have some decent growth opportunities ahead of them. Um, and what's also changed is that they're, they're almost quasi-monopolies in many of their segments, right? So, and, and that's been almost a structural change throughout the economy where you've seen greater industry concentration mm. and the rise of these platform tech companies. Um, so I would be cautious about using too much history here to mm. look at you know, prior periods of 
significant concentration, what did that mean for returns? Because I think the nature of the companies today that are dominating the index are different than what we've seen historically. Mm -hmm. And I would just, I also think it's really important to make this distinction. This in, this in my mind is very different from what we saw at the peak of the dot-com bubble because at the peak of the dot-com bubble, the companies that were dominating the market, yes, they were tech, but they were, they were being financed by all this IPO money, right? I mean, dot-coms were going public, and what were they doing? They were turning around and buying Cisco gear and Lucent gear and PCs powered by Intel chips, right? So once that financing dried up, the whole thing kind of fell apart. Mm. These days, the spending that these large companies are enjoying or the, the revenues that they're enjoying, it's really coming from a very diverse set of customers that, uh, and, and it's not reliant on this, you know, this IPO market that's that's funding them. So I think it's much more durable. Obviously, you've got AI, which, you know, is a, is an interesting opportunity and could drive a lot of spending. Sure, down more. the road but, maybe. But look, I would say the bottom line is that it's probably going to be more volatile in terms of the returns from the market um, because of this this industry concentration and having a point of view on these largest companies is going to be more important. To, to determining uh, your allocation to, to the, the overall index. Great, thanks David, thanks for the question audience. Uh, Salida, I wanna give this to you before we wrap because we have time for one more and it asks, are you concerned about China's growth outlook? I guess given all the other conditions, yeah. Yeah, uh, look, I think Chinese economy seems to have you know, finally been stabilizing. Um, in the last four to six weeks, we have seen signs that um, you know, some of the recent the recent initiatives mm. around both fiscal and monetary policy um, have been having a positive impact um, on the and and I think the economy has likely found maybe a bottom uh, back in July. Uh, and when we look at the most recent numbers that we have seen, like third quarter of this year uh, indicators, um, you know they came in as a surprise. Um, by and large, I would say the third quarter GDP was about like 4.9 percent. Mm -hmm. Not to be confused by the U.S. third quarter <laughs> GDP. This is China's GDP, uh, okay? With, which really put um, you know the Chinese economy on track to be close to the government's about five percent target. But I think importantly here, you know, the policy backdrop I think will remain uh, supportive going forward. Uh, China's you know top legislative body unexpectedly announced an additional uh, 1 trillion CNY worth of central government bond issuance. And all of these funds are gonna be used for infrastructure and for reconstruction. And I think it's certainly true that the real estate uh, you know, market remains, has a you know, secular headwind. Um, that's no secret. And we continue to expect uh, challenges in that sector. I think it will last for uh, probably years mm -hmm. at this point, and in terms, of, and I think it's going to challenge growth. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think you can just separate um, that sector from the rest of the economy. Yet, I think at the same time, the immediate systematic risks um, have now been limited, given the willingness of the policymakers to intervene, and that has been the story. Right? They were like dripping in, but we hadn't have seen like a, a flush and you know, dedicated effort, but I think the more recent actions um, sort of happen in that direction. So I think it's still a risk to monitor, but um, I think we could say that the worst is probably behind us. Mm.
Great, Talita, thank you. And David, thank you as well for being here. Uh, a great conversation. And the next time we meet again is December 7th, the last of the year, which is about a week before the next Fed meeting. So we'll be able to really try to unpack everything that the Fed may be looking at in the days after that. So thank you again. We'll see you soon. And good to have you here in the studio. Great, thank you. And thank you all for spending time with us, and thank you for those who sent in questions. If we did not get to your question, don't worry, somebody will respond to you, but we appreciate you uh, being engaged with us today. As I mentioned, our next monthly live stream will be on Thursday, December 7th at 1 p.m. It's about six days before the, the last Fed meeting of the year, so certainly there will be a lot to unpack as we get into that conversation. Until then, we will continue to keep you updated with our latest views through our House View publications, our CIO alerts, podcast videos, and a whole lot more, and we have great multimedia there for you. So check those all out at our website, ubs.com forward slash views. That's the Insights website where you're going to find all the CIO content that you can handle. So make sure you check that out. And as always, we encourage you to continue this conversation with your financial advisor. Have a great day, everybody. From New York City, I'm Anthony Pastore. We'll see you next month. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.